Welcome to the First Baptist Church Brunswick podcast. Join us as we desire to lead people into a deep and thriving relationship with Jesus Christ. have your Bibles with you uh, this morning, and I'm sure that you do, would you please take them out and go to the New Testament book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 2 is where we are today uh, on this Lord's, uh, today, Lord's Day. We are uh, in sermon, this is sermon number six in our series of Joyful, where we are learning how to be joyful uh, in all uh, circumstances. And for, for those of you who may be uh, new to um, our church or maybe you're new in this series, you can always go to our website, uh, firstbrunswick.com, and click on resources and media, and there you can watch uh, previous sermons in the series, or you can follow along on our Facebook page, and you can catch up uh, to what we have been going through in this book of Philippians. But we're in this book of Philippians, which is known as the, the happiest and most joyful book in the New Testament. And if you remember, it is, it is written by Paul when he is, happens to be in prison. And so one of the major themes that we can learn in this book is this, our joy does not come from our circumstances. Amen. Let's say that together on the count of three. One, two, three. Our joy does not come from our circumstances. And that's right. And that's something that we can all all learn and all hold on to. And as I was thinking this week about about joy and about circumstances, um, I began to think about something that uh, that I call um, a kill joy. Are there anything or are there some things in our lives that can kill the joy within us? And one of the things that, that came to my mind, and it ties into our text this morning, uh, one of the greatest killjoys in our life is conflict. Everybody's favorite thing in the world. Amen? How many of you love conflict? Good. It's the first time you've never lied in church. Praise God. Yeah, I, no, we, we don't like conflict. I don't like conflict. You don't like a conflict. But, but I think everybody would all be in agreement uh, that conflict is one of the greatest killjoys in our lives. Amen? I mean, it doesn't matter if you have, you can have all the money in the world, you could have, uh, you could be successful, you can be, you can be famous, and, and everything could be going great, but the second that conflict enters into your life, whether it's at work, or whether it's between your spouse, or your friend, or any type of relationship, anytime conflict enters the scene, it, it, it's a killjoy. I'm reminded of the story of, of two men who met on a plane, and they began to have conversations with one another, and one man asked the other, he said this, can I ask you a question? And he said, um, are you a Christian? And the second man said, well, yes, 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 I am. I am a Christian. The first man said, well, that, that, that's great. Now, let me ask you a little bit, a, a deeper question. Are you a Protestant or are you Catholic? And the man said, well, well, I, I'm Protestant. And so the first man said, oh, Good, praise God. So I, I, I am too. And he said, well, let me, let me ask you even a deeper question. Um, are, you, are you Calvinist or are you Arminian in your theology? And the second man said, well, I'm a staunch Calvinist. And the first man said, oh, so am I. We have so much in common. Now let me ask you another question. Are you Calvinistic Baptist or Calvinistic Presbyterian? And the second man said, oh, well, I'm Calvinistic Baptist. And the first man said, oh, praise God, God is so good. Well, let me just ask you another question. Are you Northern Baptist or are you Southern Baptist? 
The second man said, oh, I'm Southern Baptist. And the first guy said, oh, this is, I'm so glad we're on this plane together. This is great. Now let me ask you one more question. Are you Southern Baptist King James Version 1611? <laughs> or are you Southern Baptist New International Version? And the second man said, well, I am Southern Baptist New International Version. To which that first man, the smile ended from his face. And he looked at that second man. And he said, you die, heretic. We can have all these things in common, right? We have all these things in common, but the second conflict arises, we like to call people heretics. Amen? And we like to turn on a dime. You know, Satan loves it when conflict arises in our lives. Satan loves it when conflict arises in our relationships. Satan loves it when conflict arises within the church. Satan loves it when Christians split hairs. In my study, one pastor said this. He said, first, we as believers, we split hairs and then we split churches. Ooh, that's a good word, isn't it? Well, today's message is about unity. And I believe it is a message that we all need to hear. Because I believe today that the unity of believers is being put to the test. You've heard me say this before, and, and I don't mean to go to it again and again, but it's just the reality because it's thrown in our, in our faces. But the unity of believers is being put to the test. Should we wear masks or should we not wear masks? Should you vaccine or should you not vaccine? Should you go back to school or should you not go back to school? Should you go to church or should you not go to church? Now, I, I can tell you this as, as a pastor. The past year and a half, pastors as a whole are extremely stressed because of the conflict that has arisen within the churches. Whether you're not sure you vaccine or not or mask, it has been difficult for pastors. And so I believe today's message is extremely important for us because the unity of believers, the unity of the church is being put to the test. And First Baptist Church Brunswick, I want you to know, I want us to pass this test with flying colors. Well, let's read our text. Why don't we do this? Let's do this. Let's stand together and let's read our text out loud. Can we do that? You follow along on your copy of God's words. I'm reading from the New American Standard Version. I'm not a heretic. <laughs> but the scripture will also be on the screen behind me. But I want us to read this text out loud together. Let's read it. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but also for the interest of others. You may have a seat. Won't you pray with me, please? Father, thank you for today. I thank you that we can 
or that we live in a country where we can freely open up your word. I thank you that we can come together in unity and fellowship and worship together. I thank you that we can come from different places and just come together to be as one. Father, we live in a world that wants to separate and wants to divide. Yet, Father, one of the major words that you use regarding, regarding believers is this, that we are to be united. And so, Father, I pray today that a spirit of unity which is found in the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, three in one, oh God, bring a spirit of unity, and may this church pass this test with flying colors. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All throughout Scripture, unity is a precious gift of the Spirit. Unity is something that is to be, it's to be prized, it's to be, it's to be sought, it's to be, it's to be guarded at all costs. And Whenever we lose unity, it is very difficult to regain. And in our text, in this book of Philippians, we understand that, that Paul knew this. He, he knew the importance of, of unity. So if you remember, Paul writes to the Philippian church. Paul uh, started this church 10 years earlier. He's the pastor of this church, but he's received word that this church is experiencing some type of disunity. You can look at Philippians chapter 4 for that. And so he comes to them and he says, listen, uh, like, like a good builder, he wants to repair the cracks while they're still small. And, and I think one of the great things that we need to learn from this idea that, that we need to take care of it while it's relatively small and that we need to understand that, that today's blessings do not guarantee tomorrow's successes. I mean, Paul started this church 10 years earlier, a great, a great church, but, but here you go, all this, this life happens and, and some, some fissures appear. And Paul is right to say, just remind them, listen, yesterday or even today's successes do not mean that everything is going to go well for the rest of your time. Now, as churches, we know this. As organizations, we know this. We know that a church may do well for a really long time, but then it goes through a period of crisis that leads to a long, slow decline. Here's what I believe about conflict and about conflict within churches. I believe that Satan loves to attack churches when things are going well. I believe things are going well at First Baptist Church Brunswick, don't you? Okay, the front row does, that's good. I do. I think things are going well. But I know this about Satan just by observation and, and from some personal experience at some previous churches. If Satan cannot destroy from without, he will attack from within. One of the ways that Satan attacks the unity of the church is by preachers, pastors, leaders teaching wrong doctrine. So if Satan can't get you from without, he's going to get you within. And then if Satan can't get you within, within changing the doctrine, then here's what I know. He will attack the moral lives of the leaders of the church. Over the past several years, we've seen multiple pastors fall. Moral failure. It's an attack from Satan. And then I know this, that if he, Satan, cannot attack the moral life of the pastor, 
He will attack the unity of the church. He will turn small groups against small groups. He will turn, let's say you have two different worship, worship services or two different styles. He would love to turn different styles against each other. It's the way it works. So in our text this morning, I want to share with you three ways that we can maintain the unity of the body of Christ. Come straight from Scripture. Paul is writing to the Philippians saying, you need to fight for unity. So church, here's what I want to say to you this morning, that, that we must, and this is point number one, we must maintain unity, and we will maintain unity when we understand that all of our blessings are found in Christ Jesus. What you and I have, our blessings, they come from Christ. They don't come from our works. It comes from Christ Jesus and Christ Jesus crucified. Look with me in verse number one as Paul lays down the foundation for unity. Look at verse number one when he says it's therefore. So Paul is referencing back to chapter one. At the end of chapter one, Paul says this, that we as believers, we need to conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, which means this, we're to live like believers. Let the world know that we are believers in Christ by the way that we live. And now he comes to the church. He says, now church, this is what it's going to look like, okay? He says, therefore, if there there is any encouragement in Christ, if there's any consolation, another word for consolation is comfort, if there's any comfort of love, if there's any fellowship in the Spirit, if any affection, and if there's any compassion. Here's what Paul does. Paul begins this statement of, of, the, of our unity begins with our blessings in Christ. He reminds us of what God has done for us. Did you know that on cloudy days of our lives, we need to remind ourselves of all the good things that God has done for us? Amen? I mean, we just sang a song just a few minutes ago called that, that He is good. The goodness of God. Folks, there's so many moments in our lives when we may be down in the depths, things aren't going the way we want it to go, we don't understand. Then when that happens, we have to go back to all the good things that God has done for us. Through it all, God has proven himself faithful time and time again, no matter what you've gone through, no matter the decisions that you have ever made, God has always proved himself faithful. Amen? And so, God, so Paul says, when it comes to the unity of the church, he says, you have to go back to all the blessings that come from Christ, meaning all the good things that God has given you does not come from one another. It comes from our Father who is up in heaven. And so in our text, Paul does something that's pretty strange, and you probably noticed this. He uses four if statements. Do you see that? If statements, four if statements. Now, typically, in English, in our grammar, when you begin a sentence with if, it causes a lot of what? Say doubt. Man, y'all are so smart. It causes a lot of doubts. Meaning, you know, if this, then maybe this is going to take place. There's a doubt here. But in Greek, in the way Paul uses his grammar here, when Paul says if, what he means is this. If such and such is true, and I know that it is. So he's saying, he's saying to the church as a body, he's saying, listen, I know you've received encouragement in Christ. I know you received comfort of love. I know that you received fellowship of the Spirit. I know that you have affection and compassion. He's saying, if this has happened, and I know it is. I know it's true. It's a lot like saying, if Alabama wins the national championship. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? It ain't going to happen this year. But you know what? I don't but, 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 but Paul's saying, man, this is a given. 
This is a given. So Paul writing to a church, you got to get this, okay? Paul's writing to a church that's experiencing some type of division. I don't know fully what it is, but I know this, that two ladies are going at it. It's never happened in the history of the world. Just joking. But here it has. So Paul writes this joyful letter. He says, listen, church, there's some division going on, but here's what we need to remember. All of our blessings come from Christ, which means this. As a believer in Jesus Christ, we have all received the same blessings. When you become a believer in Jesus Christ, God blesses every single believer the same way. He gives you different gifts to use. But he blesses you the same way. When you become a believer in Christ, and this is what Paul is saying, when you become a believer in Jesus Christ, he says, there is encouragement found in Christ. The Greek word for encouragement is the word parakaleo, which means the Holy Spirit. It means somebody who comes along beside you. So listen, believer, whenever you become a believer in Christ Jesus, you, just like every other believer who's gone before you, who lives with you now, who's going to come after you, you both are blessed by the same Holy Spirit. The person next to you doesn't get more of the Holy Spirit. And listen, you don't get more of the Holy Spirit than somebody else. And Paul says, we've all received the Spirit. All of us as believers, we're all in the same boat. And he says, we've all received some type of comfort in Christ. Meaning we've all experienced his love. We've all experienced Christ's love. Christ died on the cross for everybody. He didn't do it just for you. You've all received the same amount of love from Christ Jesus. When you become a believer, you come into the fellowship of the Spirit, meaning when you become a believer in Jesus Christ, you you are born into the body of Christ. You are grafted in. You are grafted in, and that's for every single one of us. Listen, one of the things that happens so many times in churches, and I see this, is that some people, and this causes division, some people think they get more blessings than another believer. And when you think you get more blessings than another believer, here's what happens. You tend to put yourself above them. Are you with me? And Paul says, no, 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 listen. All our blessings are in Christ. So that if we want unity, that we need to remember that when we are in this room together, we are all one in Christ. Nobody's better than anybody in this room. I mean, except me. But that's a totally different story. That's what we think, right? doesn't apply to me but no no Paul says listen we have all received the same blessings in Christ different gifts we use our gifts differently but we're all on the same team number two once you write this down not only should we understand that our blessings are in Christ number two we maintain unity when we share the same values We maintain unity when we share the same values. Look at verse number two. Verse number two begins this, make my joy complete. Stop there for just a second. Verses one through four in Greek is one long word. Excuse me, one long sentence. That would be really one long word right there. Supercalifragilisticexpialidocious, that's what that is right there. Spell it. Yeah, don't try, right? But verses one through four is one long sentence, and there's one verb in that entire sentence. You know what it is? Make my joy complete. Paul says, make my joy complete. When I was uh, thinking about titling this message, I thought about titling it, it, How to Make Your Pastor Joyful. 
Because this is a very pastoral letter. Paul is pouring out his heart to this church. He says, listen, church, because we have all the blessings in Christ, and I've taught you this when I was with you 10 years earlier, I've poured out my soul with you, I've lived with you, I've taught you, I want you to become like Christ. And Paul even later on say, I want you to follow my, my example. And Paul says, church, please make my joy complete. Because here's one thing for pastors, again, not leveling, ever, not leveling pastors, we're all on the level field, but, but know this, pastors have to give an account on how they lead their church. I, one day I have to stand before heaven, excuse me, before God the Father and say, you know, how did, I, how did I lead First Baptist Church Brunswick? I have to give an account on you. So make me look good, church. That's what Paul's saying, right? I mean, all the things that I've taught you, Paul says, make my joy complete, And in the rest of verse 2, he says, this is how you live in unity. This is what it's going to look like as as a whole and as you share the same values. He says, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintain the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. And so Paul wants us as a church, as a body of Christ, he wants us to have what I call the shared or same mind. Meaning, Meaning this, that we are like minded. And what I mean by being like-minded is this, that we believe the same things concerning the, the, uh, the foundations of the faith. Are, are you with me? It means that, that we believe um, or we have the same statements of faith, uh, meaning this, doctrine matters. I, I, I don't want to say that again because I, I believe doctrine I think that's, in our culture, that's kind of a negative term today. Listen, young people, listen, young college, listen. Doctrine matters. What you believe about Jesus Christ and the Bible, it matters. Listen, if you believe, if you believe that the Bible is full of errors, that changes the way you live. If you believe that there are always exceptions to what the Scripture says and you believe that you are the exception to what the Bible says, you're in error. What you believe about Jesus matters. It matters for all of eternity. What you believe about the church matters. What you believe, listen, doctrine matters. What you believe about the deity of Christ, it matters. What you believe about salvation by faith alone matters. What you believe about the, 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 the return of Christ Jesus, it matters. Folks, listen, there are some non-negotiables in our faith. Amen? There are some non-negotiables. So it matters what we believe. And so Paul says, he says, church, okay, you have division. Go back to what you all believe. Find that common ground. Find that common ground of what you all believe. That's the same mind. Then Paul goes on to say this. You need to have the same heart. You need to have a shared heart with one another. Meaning this, that you have love for one another, that you, that you feel for one another, that you, that you experience relationships with one another, that you spend time in, in small groups with one another, that you, that you invest in other people. And that you listen to others. This is what Paul is saying. He's like, church, listen, I know, I know the vision may be there, but listen, we got to fight for unity. Why? Because we all have the same blessings in Christ. Therefore, be of the same mind. Number two, be of the same heart. Love one another, which means take care of people when they're hurting. Take care of them when, uh, when they, they need need. And the third thing is this. We have the shared soul, which means this, that we have one common goal, that we are intent on one 
purpose. A.T. Robertson says this, when we have this kind of unity, we will all be like a clock that strikes at the same moment. I think that's a pretty good visual, that when we are unified, when we come together as, as, a, as a believers in Christ, we have the same, same uh, heart, same mind, the shared soul, what we are like, we are like a clock where it strikes at the same moment every time. Last week I used this illustration, but I'm going to use it again because it's appropriate because it is football season and my Texas Tech Red Raiders have the same record as Alabama for at least one more week because next week Alabama's losing. Praise God. Hallelujah. Texas Tech is going to lose. I'm just telling you. But think about football for just a moment. Football has different, different players, different positions, quarterback, running back, wide receiver, tight end, offensive line, that's on offense, defense, defensive line, linebackers, um, uh, defensive backs. You have, you have different players who are different, who are doing different things, but together the 11 on offense make up how many teams? One. It's one. And a football team has same mind, same heart, same soul. And so whenever the The quarterback says, hut, or slaps his hands. Everybody works together in unison for one common purpose. They do their job. They know their gifting, and they work in that gifting for the greater good of the team. Not one, and you know this. You you can always see this on a football football team. You can see one player is just trying to pad all his stats for himself, and he doesn't care about the team. Have you ever seen that before? But the teams that win are the ones that work together together. They, they win together, and they, and they lose together. And this is what Paul is talking about in verse 2. Make my joy complete. Be a team. Be united. We're all going in the same direction. Use your gifts the way I've gifted you. But remember, we all have the same blessing in Christ. We all go in the same direction. And it's just a reminder, we are in this together. As believers, we're not at each other's throats. We are in this, this, uh, this life together. And we dare not be at each other's throats. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 18, verse 19, he says this, that when two or three Christians agree on earth regarding the do of God's will, he says, it will be done in heaven. Here's what I love. I saw a pastor say this. He said this, in God's family, there are no bench warmers. Isn't that good? My last basketball game that I played in college, guess how much playing time I had? Zero. I was a bench warmer. But you know what I did? I gave my teammates some water. I handed them a towel. I said, good job. And then I'd yell down and say to the coach, coach, I'm ready. He ignored me. But listen, in the body of Christ, in the church, listen, there are no bench warmers. You're all in the game. And we all need each other. We need one another. Man, a united church has so much power and is a picture of who God is when we all work together. So a united church, as Paul says in verse 1, we understand our blessings come from Christ. Verse 2, we share the same values. In verses 3 through 4, here's the last thing, and then we're going to be done. Holy cow, it's only 11.15.
y'all know who said that? That's my wife. Number three. (laughs) We maintain unity when our pride is not our guide. We maintain unity as a church, as ministries. We maintain our unity when our pride is not our guide. Look at verses 3 and 4. Do nothing out of selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind. Regard one another as more important than yourself. Hmm. Do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but also for the interest of others. There's really not much more you can say about that, can you? Paul reminds the church, no matter, no matter what the relationship is, no matter if it's husband, wife, parent, child, it doesn't matter. No matter what the relationship is, Paul reminds as believers, our pride should never be our guide. Why? Because pride, because pride is the root of all of our sins. What's the middle letter in the word pride? I. What's the middle letter in the word sin? I. Whenever we have a pride problem, we have an I problem. And disunity comes when the I becomes bigger than the we. When the I becomes bigger than what the purpose is of the church, the organization, if you will, the relationship. Pride says, I want it this way. When I want it, this is how I want it done, and everybody else needs to do it the way that I want it. I mean, you all, you, we all know this. Whenever that comes into a relationship, that makes for a great relationship, amen? No. And Paul says, do nothing out of selfish, selfishness or empty conceit. Never let pride be our guide. And here's what I love about verses 3 and 4. And you might want to write this in the margin of your Bibles, but I think this is great. Verses 3 and 4 is counterculture. Not cancel culture, but it's countercultural. Because we live in a society today that says the most arrogant athletes and the most arrogant celebrities and the most self-centered entertainers are the ones who get the most money and the ones whom we should listen to. Amen? We, in our culture, in our world, we reward narcissism. We reward those who make it all about themselves. But here Paul says, you want unity, you want to be like Christ, you want to follow the example of Christ, which we're going to look at next week in verses 5 through 11. When you look at the example of Christ, here's what you do. You die to yourself. You die to yourself. You put away your ego. You put away what you want for the greater good of, of the church and for Christ. Paul says, do nothing 
Do, do nothing. Do you know what the Greek word uh, uh, for nothing means? Do you know what it means? It means nothing. It says, do, do nothing. Do nothing out of selfishness. Do nothing out of empty conceit. And you, and you break down those words of selfishness. Here's what selfishness is. One translation says selfish ambition. The word selfish ambition in Greek literally means this. It's all about me. It's about my wants. It's about my fears. It's about my success. It's about my career. When he talks about empty conceit, empty conceit in Greek literally means this. I'm always right. So Paul says, church, listen. Church. We all have the same blessings. We're all in the same boat together. We're in the same boat together. We have the same mind, same heart, uh, same soul. We're in this together. We're united. Now, how do we continue that? We, we do nothing out of selfishness or selfish ambition, which means this. You don't make it all about you. You don't make it about what you want, what you want, how you want it. You don't make it. And two, you don't always say that you're always right. Selfish ambition and selfishness and empty conceit is like the child who says, if you won't play ball with me the way I want to play ball, I will take my ball and I will go home. Isn't this a great text? What I love about this text is it doesn't take a lot of explanation. I read an article where a pastor said this, and I think this is so great. The pastor said this about Philippians 2, 3, and 4 said this. He said, church, stop tweeting your perfect life. Wow. Someone asked Augustine, great theologian of old that we built a lot of our faith upon what he wrote. They asked him this question, what is the first mark of true Christianity? He replied, humility. The person said, well, then what's the second mark of true Christianity? And Augustine said, humility. Okay, then what's what's the third mark of true Christianity? And Augustine said, it's humility. Church, in order for us to pass the test of unity with flying colors, here's what has to happen. You have to die to yourself. You have to die to yourself. And the only way that you can die to yourself is because we had somebody who already died for you. And that's Jesus Christ, the the perfect, sinless, 100% God, 100% man, who willingly died for us. And he says, now die to yourself and live for me. Church, I know that there's a lot of things that take place in life. And let's be honest, there's a lot of things that take place in churches, even in our own church, where, let's just be honest, let's just be real, where we don't like things. Right? Hey, I'm a pastor and it happens to me too. But whenever that happens, here's what I always do, because this, this is what, I try to follow the example of Scripture, here's what I do. I submit my ways to the Heavenly Father's ways. 
Say, God, I, I don't get it. I don't understand it, but I love you. And I want what's best for your kingdom. As we close, here are some questions that I want you to ask yourself or answer regarding unity. And just answer them in your mind, in your heart, in your spirit. Number one, do you love to argue too much? Number two, do you worry whether others will recognize your contributions? Number three, are you secretly envious at the success of others? Number four, do you secretly rejoice at the misfortune of others? Number five, am I too conscious about what others think of me? Number six, how do I respond when someone else gets rewarded for my work? Number seven, am I too quick to criticize others who are different from me? Number eight, how much time do I spend talking about myself? Number nine, is it becoming easier for me to say I was wrong? And number 10, here's the last question. When anyone who reads Philippians 2, 1 through 4, would they think of me? Let's pray. Father, I thank you that the unity is found in the blood of Jesus Christ. I thank you that unity is really a spiritual issue. And Father, this morning, if there's any relationship that is tattered or stressed, Father, I pray that we as believers in Christ would seek to make them right and to bring unity with our own brothers and sisters in Christ. Father, if there's somebody here this morning who has never been unified with you through your salvation, by faith alone, by grace alone, Father, I pray today that they would bow their knee, they would humble themselves before you and say, I need you, Jesus. And so bring them in unity with you. In Jesus' name we pray.